0: Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. Today, I'm speaking with designer turned food blogger turned cookbook author, Frankie Gaw. His beautiful new book, First Generation Recipes from My Taiwanese American Home, is full of recipes and essays that reflect on growing up in Ohio with his Taiwanese family and his journey to understanding his identity straddling two cultures. Frankie also brought his design talents to the book and photographed and illustrated it himself, which explains why the visuals connect so well with the recipes and stories, and why it looks all at once classic and modern and like no cookbook you've ever seen before. In this episode, we talk more about the behind the scenes of creating the book and some of the recipes that Frankie is proudest of. But first, he brings me back to one of his earliest memories in the kitchen.
1: I always just think about like watching my grandma make dumplings. I feel like it's like a memory that is part of the reason why I just like love cooking in general, and like why I have such a huge passion for making dumplings uh, today. I feel like grandmas have like a very specific way of cooking. Like they definitely don't measure anything. And they just do everything by feel. And so, mm-hmm. like, specifically, I always remember her saying, like, oh, you need to knead the dough, like, 500 times. Like, she's like, it has to be 500 <laughs> because you have to have the texture of, like, a baby's butt. Like, it has to be smooth. That's when you know it's perfect. And 500 times is, like, the only way you can get to that texture. So I feel like I'll always remember that, like, specific physical metaphor of like what mm-hmm. dumpling dough is supposed to like feel like
0: when you first started doing it yourself were you trying counting all the way up to 500 yourself i did
1: i did wow. I, I i counted to 500 and i timed it so then i could like just be like okay it's roughly <laughs> it, i think it's it's around 10 minutes depending on how fast or slow you are um but yeah i i did count and and check just to make sure yeah
0: was she mostly just showing you at first, or did she actually get you involved in the kneading pretty early on?
1: No, she was always in the kitchen, and like I feel like I was lucky in that, like my grandma and my my family in general, they're always. They were always the ones cooking when I was little, and they never really wanted me in the kitchen. They're just like, we can we do things efficiently. Like we don't need your like help because it'll just slow us down. Um, but it was only when I would ask, like I'd be like kind of like sneaking around the back, and be like, "Oh, like what are you doing?" And like she'd be like, "Oh, I'm making dough." And then I slowly she would kind of like reveal more of her secrets to me. Mm-hmm. So it, I feel like I learned our family's recipes just over a long period of time from when I was a child to like adulthood it was never just like one go where she was like oh yeah I'm glad to teach you it's very much like I had to kind of like earn earn it so yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) wow even when you were in your 20s like it never switched over into like a, a mentorship kind of thing
1: I think once I got older it I think slowly transitioned to like Them wanting to teach me and being excited to teach me about like the foods from our family. So yeah, by the time I was in my 20s, like when they realized, oh, wow, like he really loves food and like loves to cook and learn how to cook. That's when they were very much like, oh, yeah, like we'll show you how to make all these dishes.
0: And they were like, okay, start taking notes.
1: I didn't even have time to take notes. Like they would just be like, just watch me. And I would have to just like, I would record them on my phone. Mm-hmm. Like that's how, I would, that's how I'd learn. I would just like record everything on video and then just like watch it back later because they just like went so fast. So
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how did you go from being a kid who was curious and kind of like, you know, hanging out around your grandma's in the kitchen um, and trying to mm-hmm. pick up their tips to wanting to actually start your own food blog.
1: I feel like most of my childhood, like I grew up just being a, a lover of food, but never wanting to cook it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I just, I, I just loved to eat. Like I loved eating my family's foods, but I also loved eating, just like all the foods I grew up with in Ohio. Like kind of all the stuff that you would typically uh, think about when it comes to like the suburbs and the Midwest. And then I think as I grew up, I think I started to get an interest in cooking around my early 20s. So it was pretty late. Mm -hmm. Like for me, it kind of took this like very existential event. Like my dad was um, diagnosed with cancer um, when I was like 21 or 22, Mm -hmm. and um, he passed away when I was like 24, and that kind of seismic event in my life very much made me reevaluate a lot of the things that I was doing in my life and like a lot of the things that were important to me so at the time I was like working in tech I was a UX designer and I think in that period of my life like I was very much valuing like my career in tech and like the title and I was just like title chasing and I don't know I just felt, I felt like su- success meant my job in in the industry and after having, like, my dad pass away, I think it made me really step back and think about, like, what are the things that are actually important to me? Because I feel like towards the end, like, I remember, like, I don't know, I just remember, like, seeing his coworkers and and his, his friends. I just remember them not even mentioning his work once. Like, it was never about, like, his job or his work or his title or any of his accomplishments. It was they all kind of talked about him as a person and, like, the relationships they had and the friendships they had and, like, the, like, off times they would just, like, laugh together. Like, those were the things that people kept mentioning that, like, were important to them. And I think it really made me reevaluate. I was like, okay, like, wow, like, if this is what people, like, at the end of someone's life, like, if these are the things that resonate with them, like, I think that event very much made me um, think about my, my identity and, like, it made me kind of look towards um, my past and um, my heritage and the things that brought me comfort and the things that like brought me a lot of uh, nostalgia. And, and I just thought about my family. I thought about food. And so that was kind of the period of time when I started wanting to learn how to cook the, the recipes like from my past and from my family. And so I started going to my grandma's and, and documenting her. So that's when I started like actively like videotaping her making dumplings and steamed buns and these things that you know that I grew up loving and that gave me so much uh, like happiness and I started documenting these recipes like for myself and 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 more so to share with like my friends on the internet so just on Instagram and eventually people started to um, take notice to like the photos I was taking because I was Uh, Because I have, like, a design background, and I've always loved photography and and storytelling. I think there was just, like, the way that the photos were shot and, like, the style of them, I think, resonated with people. And Mm -hmm. um, people started asking me, um, you know, what are these dishes and, like, how do you make them? Um, And so that's when I started the blog. So I was like, okay, I I need a place to, like, you know, give more context to this food. And also, like, people are uh, wanting to cook these um, dishes it was just a natural evolution. Then slowly, like the f- the food thing started to take more time. And then it just started to become like a, a, a second thing that just kind of grew legs on its own that I wasn't anticipating mm-hmm. at all. So I was basically working a full time job right up until writing my cookbook.
0: So just to take a step back um, to kind of mm-hmm. set the scene for starting to write this cookbook, What were you hoping to write? And did you always want to do the photography and the illustrations yourself?
1: I think for me, I've always wanted to see a cookbook that kind of told the story of like first generation immigrants and was able to celebrate the kind of like messiness of figuring out your identity in the midst of being like an immigrant's kid. Like my family is from Taiwan and they immigrated in the 80s and I grew up in Ohio. And so I felt like I always grew up with these, like, dual identities, but I never really, like, felt like I belonged in either one. Like, because I was in Ohio, like, my entire life pretty much, you know, my family was all from Taiwan, and they they have, like like, long histories with that country, whereas I had only been maybe twice in my entire lifetime. So I felt like I had glimpses of what my heritage was, but I never could fully relate in the same way that my family could. But in the same way, like, I, like... In Ohio growing up, like I was one of the only Asian kids, you know, in my school. So I never really felt like I fit in in that environment either and in that context. And so I always felt like this like weird in between like tension between my two cultures. I feel like there's something so interesting about exploring that dialogue through recipes and through storytelling, like with food. And as I was developing, you know, what this book could be like, I felt like, when I was looking at Asian cookbooks in general, like I feel like there's this expectation that Asian cookbooks almost need to be like, I don't know, this like historical encyclopedia of like, like what Asian food should be and it. And and it should be written by like someone who has like deep, deep knowledge of, of that specific cuisine. And I never really felt like I could relate to that because I never felt like I was an expert in Taiwanese cuisine or American cuisine. I just was felt like the felt like in the middle and like, and so I felt like I've always wanted to see a book that represented that that story and that identity of not necessarily having to be an expert. It's more just about that one person's ex- personal experiences and how they've gone through life with these dual identities. And I think there's a um, lot to be said about both the positives and the negatives of that kind of story. So,
0: and was doing the creative. Uh, aspects of it like the the photography and the illustrations was that an important part of telling that story too
1: yeah I think it was like for me I think selfishly I was just like oh like I would love to to be the one to do the photography and to creative direct just because that's just always been a passion of mine um, and to me that's like part of the storytelling along with like writing and and developing the recipes and so Like I knew I really wanted to be referential to a lot of different source material. So I looked at vintage Taiwanese and Chinese cookbooks as -hmm. like references for um, the styling and for like the plating and the colors and a lot of even like the book design is referential to a lot of past references. And I think a lot of that was because I wanted the book to feel old and something that, you know, my grandma could have picked up you know, in a store or something my parents could have picked up. And so because it's a generational story, um, I wanted to be the one to be able to tell that through the visuals as well. So,
0: Hey, it's Kristen. We'll be back to hear more about the recipes in Frankie's book, First Generation,
1: in just a moment.
0: we're back with Frankie Gaw. When we left off, Frankie was telling us about all of the work that he put into designing the book. And now I wanted to get into more specifics about some of the recipes themselves. I know that you have an entire book packed with recipes and memories and essays, but if you had to pick maybe one or two of the recipes from the book that you're proudest of uh, to share with our listeners, what comes to mind first?
1: I think the recipe I'm most proud of is a honey chili crisp whole roast chicken. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm really proud of it because I feel like it is such a perfect representation of like my two cultures of being Taiwanese American. So basically it's this whole roast chicken. Um, You blend scallions and ginger and water and salt to kind of make a like a saltwater brine but it has like a ton of aromatic flavor that's like very traditionally Taiwanese. And then you basically brine the whole chicken for like, um, you can do it for a few hours, but I like to do it overnight. So it just like soaks up all this like ginger and scallion flavor into the meat. And then the next day you basically drain it And then um, you stuff it with more ginger and more scallions (laughs) and you roast it. So it becomes like this very, like in my head, it's like a very American scene of like pulling out the roast chicken and it's like perfectly brown. But then it's weird because it's also smells like a Taiwanese kitchen. Like you get a lot of ginger Uh and you get a lot of scallion you get some of the garlic. And then to finish it, you basically, create this like um, it's like a chili crisp honey butter sauce that you then kind Mm. of drizzle over the chicken so it's like sweet it's salty it's aromatic it's definitely like one of my go-tos even today another dish I would say would be a oolong uh, milk tea rice crispy treat and you basically make a rice krispie like you normally would, like you would um, melt down the marshmallows, but you steep the oolong like while it's melting down. Like you basically put oolong leaves, like ground oolong leaves, into the marshmallow, and then you kind of mm. mix that all together, and then you like put in the cereal to like kind of make the rice krispie, um, and then there's some um, almonds sprinkled in as well. And I love that it tastes like um, like milk tea, <laughs> like like you would get at, like a boba shop. but in like a Rice Krispie form. <laughs> so that's probably yeah. the other dish I'm really proud of because it's like, it's a really simple addition. It's just like maybe one additional step um, from like a traditional Rice Krispie treat. But I feel like it really does kind of transform it and, and takes you to like a whole different place in terms of like flavor profiles and and how it kind of eats. So there's something super satisfying about being able to pay homage to, to both cultures and to kind of like mm-hmm. combine them and celebrate them both like equally because I feel like I've always kept those pieces of myself, at least growing up, so separate. Like the American side of me was always like outside of the house, but then the Taiwanese side was very much in my house and it was always very separate. And so I think as an adult, I find that I'm like wanting to combine those two and and, and I feel like I feel proud of being able to kind of like share that that meshing of the two.
0: Well you, you can definitely see that in the recipes and the head notes in the essays I love that in the bake sale chapter, you even go so far as like describing your perfect bowl of cinnamon toast crunch too. And well, your whole perfect menu of desserts for the day. It was so evocative. And I was, I I was like, wow why did i never eat my cinnamon toast crunch that way like i was also always chasing like gotta eat it before it gets soggy but i never thought to pour the milk in first yeah (laughs) and then just like float the cinnamon toast crunch on top
1: yeah yeah Um, yeah i feel like people still think it's totally psychotic but i i think if you love (laughs) crunchy cereal and hate soggy cereal like i think it's one of the best ways to do it in my opinion so
0: it makes so much sense. I feel like as kids, we develop these quirks with cereal because it is it's such a peak experience. It's like this sugary delight, this candy that we're starting our day with. Yeah, it's literal candy. But would you mind walking us through kind of what you're describing on that page as your your morning, your afternoon and your night? Because I, I feel like you do such a beautiful job of kind of summing up this like fantasy world of what you would eat in each of these scenarios and, and kind of how that what what that means to you
1: with the writing in general I really wanted to kind of like push push myself also and not kind of just like go in and just write a description of what the chapter was going to be about Mm -hmm. like in my head I was like oh like if I'm going to do this like I might as well (laughs) kind of like get weird and like you know try different (laughs) things and so like in this specific chapter like the opener is from the perspective of me I think as a 13 year old or a 12 year old telling my eight or nine year old self like what the best way to eat their their meals are basically or like what are the best dishes to eat during the day so it's kind of chaotic <laughs> which i love <laughs> um, Me too. but um yeah it's basically i think i start the day with um cinnamon toast crunch i believe i have a very specific way of eating it um but it's to optimize for crunchy cereal because um, I don't know, for me personally, I just cannot stand soggy cereal. So I have a bowl of milk and then I pour cereal as I eat and I'll do maybe like five or six pieces every time. So I get optimal crunch. Wow. And then I describe my perfect lunch, which is uh, Captain Crunch and Keebler pecan shortbreads. So that part of the meal, I tell my younger self to bring secretly the cookies and the Captain Crunch. Because my mom will probably like try to pack something like super Asian, which like I definitely don't want. Because like why would I want to bring attention to myself when I'm trying to fit in and be the coolest kid in school? (laughs) And so it's just kind of like a nod to my tension with my identity at that point. And then just like having Captain Crunch and like dipping the cookies in the milk or just like breaking them into the cereal. And it's just like a double double sugar explosion. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like the best way to eat Captain Crunch is with... More cookies and sugar. (laughs) Um, And then my dinner was, I believe it was black sesame candy and butter mochi. Mm -hmm. And so I remember as a kid, like I used to go to Chinese school, like from basically when I was like three to 13. And right after kids get out of school and like all the parents are picking their kids up. I feel like all the Asian moms would basically like trade all their different foods that they'd make. So, like, mm. some people would have dumplings, some people would have um, like sticky rice wrapped in banana leaves, and some people would have mochi. And to me, I'm like, I look back and I'm like, that was like one of the coolest like culinary experiences that I'll ever have because it's just like this community of, of food trading, which I, I think is so cool to look back on. So, so for the perfect dinner, I described to my younger self to eat the broccoli that my mom had, but then spit it out in the toilet so that I can, um, (laughs) I can have the mochi and enjoy it, enjoy it fully. So, (laughs) yeah. So that's kind of the, the, the TLDR of the, the essay, but uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) Thank you for indulging me.
0: I mean, I love the specifics, like the very visceral specifics Mm -hmm. of, of all of those eating experiences um, yep. And also that it was this conversation between your younger self and you that mm-hmm. went both ways in the book. Yeah. You know, there's moments yeah. in the book where you talk about things that you kind of have learned and reflect on now that you didn't realize when you were younger. And then yep. in this case, it was your younger self being like, no, listen, this is how you do it.
1: Yeah, totally. I knew it was going to be called first generation. And I, that was kind of like the thesis I had in my head the entire time. And so I very much wanted the the writing and the food to be like kind of in conversation between different generations of both like my family so like a conversation with like my grandparents and my grandma's parents and then also my mom and dad but then also between my younger self back when I was still struggling with my identity and like my older self now where I'm much more proud of who I am today and 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 how far I've come so To me, I think there's something really interesting about that dialogue through food between all those different time periods and those moments um, in life.
0: Thanks for listening. And my thanks to Frankie Gaw for joining me today to speak about his new cookbook, First Generation, Recipes from My Taiwanese American Home. You can order your copy at the link in our show notes. This week's episode was put together by me, Kristen McGlory, executive producer Harry Sultan, and with post-production by Crutch Fray Studios. If you want to tell me how you eat your cinnamon toast crunch, I would love to hear about it at geniusfood at 52com or by tagging me on Instagram at McGlorious. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes podcast, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find our show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating and review or just send this episode to folks who love a good dumpling and a good story. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.